Japago for July 21st, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Shai Nechmad. And I'm Jonathan Hall. Hi. I'm glad your calendar works better than mine did last week. <laughs> yeah, but my internet has been really acting up. Uh, I hope we can get through it this time. Fingers crossed. Yep. So we have a ton of super interesting stuff to talk about this week. Uh, let's get started with uh, you know, the bureaucracy. What's, what are the releases? Yeah, so, um, of course, we're still waiting uh, with bated breath for 1.21 to drop. should happen next month, but RC3 is out. So if you're one of those people who likes to play with the RCs and maybe find bugs to report, now's your chance. Go download, go 1.21 RC3. Yeah, at this point, it's um, already the third iteration. That's what RC3 means. So, or maybe the fourth? No, it's the third. I one. think it's the third. Um, so even if you're in a company, like an enterprise, but you like to keep Go on the edge, Trying to update and seeing how it works can be a great contribution. So it's not limited to just, you know, the compiler crazies and the hobbyists. Right. So give it a shot. There's a whole bunch of updates on stuff we already talked about. Uh, and the first one we want to mention is loop var has been finally accepted. The fix, not just Yay. the proposal. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't know, loop var is a very, very weird edge case that If you wrote Go for a while, you probably saw before and were like, huh? When you run a for loop, you know, there's a very simple case. You, you run a for loop over a range of test cases, let's say. For some reason, which is very deeply explained in the proposal itself, the variable in the for, like a statement, you have like for something, walrus operator, a range, right? That something has to be redeclared. You probably saw this pattern here and there. Where you have like I, I walrus operator I, like I equals Y. We have to redeclare it inside the loop, which is why it's called loop var. Many Go developers just got stuck with this and were pretty annoyed. And this is now resolved. First of all, a breaking change, which is usually different from, you know, releases and fixes to go into the Go language normally. Um, it goes with a like experimental flag that I think will get removed at some point and this will become the default behavior. But yeah, it, the proposal has been accepted. Now, if you want to track the implementation itself, you can go to the issue that was once a proposal and see how the implementation itself works. So great news, I think. I think this is impressive because it's not even until 1.21 that the experimental flag is added, which isn't even released yet. But people uh, at Google and other large uh, code bases have been experimenting with it with the release candidates that we just talked about to prove that it works in their code. So that's pretty amazing. So there's still a chance if we discover catastrophic bugs before 1.22 is released, uh, there's a chance that this could be uh, backed out. But that's a very small chance. I think we're pretty confident as a community that this is the right way to go. That's awesome. I think it's really good work again. Agreed. And there's a whole bunch of interesting updates, you know, on other proposals. But I'm not sure this is a proposal. This is more like a pre-proposal. But I don't know. I don't want JavaScript in my Go. Why are we talking about coroutines? Russ has been busy this last week writing up blog posts and proposals. And this is one of them. Salting up my coffee. That's right. So <laughs> actually, when I first saw this post, Russ, if you're listening, please accept my apologies ahead of time. But when I first saw this post, I was like, who the heck wrote this? They don't understand Go. Because like it, it, the whole thing is about coroutines and Lua and, and Python, and it doesn't even really mention Go until about halfway through the article. And then I saw it was Russ. Like, okay, so he, he must actually be building up to something. <laughs> but what? <laughs> uh, but the point is that as it stands, TLDR, we have Go routines in Go, which are a form of coroutines effectively. 
but they are coroutines that may run in parallel. The whole famous saying, concurrency is not parallelism. Those are two concepts. The goal of this proposal or, or this, this post leading probably to a proposal is that we need explicitly non-parallel coroutines in Go. Now, I've never wanted this, and I have yet to speak to anybody in person other than reading this post from Russ who thought that this was useful. I trust that Russ has good reasons for wanting this, and, and he talks about some sort of examples. But, you know, Russ works at Google, and Google has a huge code base that does all sorts of funky things that I've never even dreamed of. So I'm sure there's good reasons for this. And I would probably be opposed to this personally if it meant language changes. But he says very explicitly that this would be a package that does not require language changes. Now, he does propose that as an, uh, perhaps a second iteration, they have some compiler-specific optimizations to make it faster, but there would be no changes to the language specification. So I'm okay with that. But you know, if there was like a new CO command in Go, or not command, but you know, instead of Go foobar, we do co foobar, I would not like that. I don't want to add that extra, you know, extra words and syntax to the language. But uh, that's what it is. The, the idea is, should we add coroutines to Go? Russ thinks so. And uh, I'm sure he, he's right, uh, at least for, for his context, which is uh, much bigger and more interesting than my own. Yeah, what do you think? So the post is great in the sense that reading it, you know, you think about things that you usually don't think about. Oh, exactly what's the difference between uh, generators, coroutines, threads, Go is green threads, Go is OS threads, Python is uh, has a global interpreter lock, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time when I'm managing software projects or when I'm developing myself, uh, when I'm considering stuff for my team, I don't care about this stuff. Yeah. And the reason I don't care about this stuff is not because I'm less intelligent than the Go maintainers, even though that is incidentally correct. <laughs> um, it's because these are usually not the concerns or the blockers that you care about. When Not only when picking a language, but also when working with libraries and, and things like that. However, what I am considering is I want to use this library. I want to get this functionality, right? One of the reasons Go, I think was pretty successful is it built around itself a pretty pretty extensive you know libraries features stuff you can import and do and the niches where it did that a lot is where it's being used a lot in a business context right web servers uh, embedded stuff and whatever and when it did it less it's less uh, popular right we talked to the maintainer of Fine, for example. If we had, you know, five years ago, five times the amount of uh, application development libraries, I believe that Fine was in a totally different place today, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem with introducing things like coroutines, whatever, it gives more flexibility, but it fragments the maintainer landscape and the library landscape even more. Because now I want to use a library, but this library decided it would be cool for their API to use coroutines and this library decided it would be cool to use context and this library decided it would be cool to use generators and this library decided to keep it you know normal with goroutines etc etc makes it more difficult for me to utilize libraries which was one of the things i really didn't like when you know trying to use for example external c++ code Mm -hmm. of course take this huge ass template take five days out of your week just to learn a new concept so this might work and it might be fine the thing i'm worried about is if it's coming from you know, the Go team, and it's a library, but for all intents and purposes, it's standard, it might impact libraries that shouldn't have used coroutines, but chase it because it's cool, it's new, it's the whatever thing, and not necessarily because it's the thing that makes sense, then I'm stuck. I have to learn it as well, even though I don't really need it, I don't want to spend the time learning it. 
Um, like yourself, I didn't need this. Uh, and Go Parallelism being pretty simple with channels and Go routines was one of the main benefits for me for picking up the language and continuing to use it. Because sure, you wanted a thread, just write the word Go. Right. So this is a, a super cool read academically, but honestly, I hope it gets stuck in the backlog. <laughs> I would ask, actually ask that it just remains a third-party library, except for the fact that Russ want the optimizations so you know if it was a third-party library and i'm sure it will be at first it'll probably be under the golang.org slash x slash coro uh or, or however they pronounce that uh package at first i would vote to keep it there indefinitely except for the fact that the performance is a concern and so super interesting to think about this this is super just go read it and you're like oh this so these are very interesting challenges and these are whatever uh, I'm just not sure that uh, changing the runtime to be 10x faster than, you know, channel implementations for coroutines, people are going to understand that and not just read it as coroutines are 10 times faster than go routines. It's not the case. Yeah. So I'm I'm really afraid of, you know, getting lost in the weeds here of why are we even doing this? And the what and the how, that's great. Mm-hmm. L- looking at all the other languages and picking the best, you know, it's like they said that the English language just took up uh, German and, and Latin and beat them up in an alley. And that's how they came up with such a great universal language. Go does the same, right? Looks at other languages, looks at the real landscape, look at the users, listens to them in proposals. We discussed the proposal process pretty extensively in the last few episodes and takes the best parts. I think that's what's happening here, but perhaps for a topic that's not the most important. Yeah. But super interesting to follow. I would really like to see what's happening with that. I'll be watching it closely. Well, let's move on. One topic we talked about, uh, I don't remember if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, a discussion about enhancing the uh, HTTP package ServMux. Uh, do you want to tell us what's happened there? So there's a ton of stuff happening in the HTTP serving world and HTTP web world. So I'm going to sort of bunch three news items into one. Awesome. The first one is this proposal, right, which uh, moved to the active column and will be reviewed. I believe it it will get rejected, but not outright, just more discussion or perhaps even accepted directly. This proposal is about, and we discussed this in the past, so I'm going to go pretty quick about it, but it's basically expanding the standard HTTP MUX capabilities, giving ability to distinguish between the HTTP methods. So now you can define get, post, delete, patch, put, whatever, and also supporting wildcards. When you put these two together, it's basically a full-featured router, right? You, you have almost everything you need, and reading to it, you know, you can get in the weeds of, of exactly the details, but basically we can define something for get, you know, slash API slash, and then put the wildcard for user ID. And that solves so many, like, boilerplate codes, middlewares, whatever, and frameworks. Uh, that people have for HTTP. So the news here is that this has been uh, added to the proposal review meeting. So it's moving forward. People are accepting it, even if it's not fully accepted yet. The two other news items in the HTTP world that are interesting to see is Gorilla. We've discussed this in the past. It's been gaining more and more traction. The project was archived, then revived, and now they released this week that they are going to work on it and exactly who the maintainers are and how the project's going to look. And it's shaping up real nice. A lot of people are happy about it because, you know, Gorilla is widely used also in auto generators, also in like in a whole bunch of concepts uh, and places. Even in our channels, people have been asking, do you think that the adoption of Gorilla will rise? It's been super interesting to see the discussion there. People said that Gorilla will probably rise. But the moment this 
proposal get accepted, it's not sure how much people will want to use the Gorilla web framework, just some extra stuff around the toolkit. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, mentioning that it might be archived again, because who knows, it might be better to rely on the standard library, even if it's less battle tested or less feature rich. You know, in the annoying uh, response of just use net HTTP, what's the problem becoming a bit more valid? Yeah, yeah. So these are two very almost opposite things, right? A third party library reviving back together to fulfill a feature and the standard library just eating that feature. Right. And among all that noise, Echo has also had a release this week, yes. which is another web framework. Yeah, Labstack Echo 4.11 was released. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a, a few cool uh, updates in there. Nothing really earth shattering or anything. I mean, it is a, a minor release, not a major release, but it's worth checking out. You know, they updated a bunch of the dependencies, added a few bug fixes, and a few small uh, enhancements. So, yeah, one thing that I think worth highlighting is they f- fixed the global error handler, which in a previous uh, Echo project was kind of frustrating. Mm hmm. So one uh, paper cut bandaged over. So in a 10,000 foot view of this situation, 10,000 feet view of this situation, a lot of people are pulling towards better web frameworks, which is great. This is the main use case for Go programs, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly a large percentage of Go programs do something with the web. Who do you think is going to win? Who's going to win? The framework battle? Yeah. Uh, Probably Pepsi. (laughs) Does anybody even know what I'm referring to? That's so old. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> All right. There's another proposal we want to take a look at. I know you're unhappy with it if we're talking about Pepsi and Coke Zero. So let's talk about Untyped Zero. Yeah. Cue the Smashing Pumpkins music. <laughs> uh, so the proposal is to add a, a new word to the Go language called Zero, uh, which would be similar to nil, except that it can refer to any type. So it's an untyped uh, zero value. And there's a couple different reasons. I mean, one is that it would just be really easy to compare. You can compare any type to zero. Like if foo equals equals zero, then do something. Whereas right now, uh, you have to care about what type is foo. Is it a string? Then is it equal equal quote quote? If it's an integer, does it equal zero? If it's a, a pointer to something, then you know whatever. You have different ways to check that depending on the type. So this would be an untyped uh, zero. So you could just compare it to any type at all. The other compelling reason to do this is for use within generic functions. If you need to create a zero value of a generic type, you don't know that type. So there's not an easy way. There is a way. There's a couple different ways, actually, to create a zero value for that. But they're both cumbersome. They're either ugly or take two lines. So this would solve that problem. You could just define, you know, foo colon equals t zero or or whatever. You could say it's, you know, to be the, the type that you need and the zero value of that type. Yeah, instead of like the empty interface uh, fugliness. That, kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. And one thing that's worth clarifying, at least for me, uh, was that it's not a keyword. It's not a new keyword in the language. It's just a pre-declared identifier. Yeah. You can overshadow it, which means that existing code will probably not break. It's very like backward compatible. But obviously, you know, the moment this gets implemented. And let me give you a preview. Russ put out the proposal and didn't get uh, uh, thousands of downvotes. It's going to get implemented pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Although it does have, I mean, it has 114 thumbs up and 20 thumbs down and uh, a confusion face. So it hasn't been as well received as some. But on net, it's a positive reception so far. Yeah, I gave it a thumbs up just now. So you can bump that number up to 115. We're giving you the latest and greatest news here. Shine Ahmad just upvoted Russ's... Uh, oh, this just in. Yeah, this uh, just in. But the, the <laughs> thing is, 
It's another thing to think about, uh, you know, another linter rule to add. Oh, you should probably not overshadow zero. Even if your language will work, it's probably not something you want to do. I think that code will read up real read nicely with zero, but you don't like it. Well, so I think there's two things worth pointing out here about the, the implications of this. One of the things I really like, and that is that when you're, so suppose you have a function that returns six values because of reasons, and, uh, you know, two are integers, one is a string, and other two are like structs of some sort. And you want to return an error. You have to do like return zero, comma, zero, comma, quote, quote, comma, time dot, time, curly brace, comma, you know, whatever. It's, it's a big, hairy nonsense of a return thing. This is to return the zero values of, of five different types. This will solve that problem. You could just do return zero, comma, zero, comma, zero, comma, zero, comma, blah, 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 error. Mm-hmm. So that's really nice. Now, I think it could be done better. There's another proposal to just use the blank identifier there, which I think is a little bit prettier. You know, how we wanted to spell that is another debate, right? So even if we just go to zero, it's, a, it's an improvement. The thing I don't like about this proposal, which is discussed already at length in the discussion, is that now there are two ways to spell the zero value for the types where nil already exists. And I think that could be confusing. I'll just give one example. If you want others, go read the proposal. But one example would be now you could say if error colon colon equals zero rather than if error colon colon equals nil. And they would mean the same thing. And I don't think we want to you know, have to choose between those. You know, Go is famous for there's only one right way to do things. Well, now there would be two right ways to do some things. And I don't like that aspect. I don't think anybody does. And that's probably not enough of a reason to not do the proposal. But that's the thing I don't like about it. I think that I don't know if it's just bias from reading Go code for so many years. But if error is nil makes more sense to me than if error is zero because error is is like a singular noun it can be like not there but it doesn't make sense to me to if it's zero so that reads worse and giving that option i agree with you it's not great i think overall the merits of the proposal ever overweigh the the cons Uh, and also the voice carrying the proposal (laughs) overshadows yours even though now ours is a going through the air to our uh, listeners' ears. Um, but yeah, another really interesting proposal this week that, you know, it's interesting because it's mostly semantic and it shows what people like and don't like about reading code, mm-hmm. which is often not discussed enough in proposals. Like we need features, features, features. We need abilities, capabilities, more the performance, stuff like that. But actually the stuff we do most is probably just read code. So I like the concept of discussing how can we make code more readable versus, you know, more features, HTTP mocks, another framework, like whatever. It's a good meditation on what actually matters. All right, so we have a whole bunch of stuff we want to discuss, uh, ranging over ints, and there are cool blog posts, uh, you know, ways to write DB models, and zero allocation metrics from uh, Howard John's blog. But all of that beautiful, beautiful content will wait for Adelina and John next week. Because we are out of time for this week. Stay for the ad break to hear what's going to happen next week and some other programming notes. Great. See you in two weeks, Shai. Yeah, bye, everyone. I'm flying. I won't be here. I'll miss you all. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Uh, here for the ad break. It's just me today. Uh, Shy had to run. Uh, we, we did a little bit of a late recording today, but that's cool. Just a little bit uh, of news for you about the show. Uh, as we just mentioned, Shy will be out next week. Uh, so I'll have a guest co-host. Looking forward to that. And we'll have an interview uh, next week. This week, we don't really have an interview lined up. So thanks for listening to the news. If this is your first time listening, 
be sure to leave a rating and review if possible on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you in our Slack channel. We are on the Gopher Slack at Cup O Go. That's Kebab Case, Cup O Go. Uh, on the Gopher Slack, check the show notes for a link if you're not already on the Slack. Uh, you can also email us at news at cupogo.dev. You can share us with your friends, with your colleagues, with your coworkers. Cupogo.dev is the website. Any feedback, any news items you'd like to share, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Also, you can buy swag. We have swag available uh, with our cute little gopher logo. Gopher's name is Brewster. Nobody knows if Brewster is a male or female, and I think we like it that way. But you can buy a cup with Brewster's face on it, and you can find that at cupago.dev as well. Show all your friends that you are a listener to the podcast. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, have a great week.